Welcome to another episode of the Drawn to Scale podcast. I'm Pablo Cortez. My guest today is uh, Fernando Magallanes. Uh, Fernando is a landscape architect and associate professor of landscape architecture and environmental planning at North Carolina State University. Fernando believes landscape architects do, should incorporate disciplines beyond those typically sourced by the profession and is a strong advocate for encouraging minorities entering the profession to bring with them the culture of their ancestors to enrich an existing discipline that continues to evolve. Fernando, thank thank you for uh, taking the time to to join me for an episode. How are you? Doing very well, thank you, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for your invitation. Are you uh, in classes now? This is school started for you guys. Yeah, it's been going on for a few weeks. We've already in studios gone through our first project and headed into our second and third one. So yeah, things happen really fast. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Nice. Uh, well, well, we'll get right into our, our questions here for you. Um, if we can start off, uh, you know, we, we mentioned a, a bit about the the non traditionally sourced. Um, uh, sources for landscape architects. Uh, which non-traditional source disciplines do you feel bring value to landscape architecture? Uh, I like what you said earlier that uh, landscape architecture is a uh, evolving discipline. You know, we've only been around officially about a hundred years. So, as a young discipline, um, I think we've embraced already environment, some politics, uh, but it fails to bring in maybe social involvement. Um, particularly in the United States uh, with uh, large groups of people that still aren't represented in the landscape architecture profession as leaders uh, and possibly mentors for younger uh, Latinos. And uh, so, you know, where we've embraced art, architecture, gardening, horticulture, those are very important. I think we need to have those. Uh, but in today's practice, we're going to need to think about the future. Uh, as you know, in the 2020 census, we ended up uh, as Latinos being 200, uh, excuse me, 62 million. Uh, we came up from 16% uh, of the population to 19% of the population. So in terms of the United States, we're growing as an um, uh, important group, and uh, yet within the discipline of landscape architecture, we're only 7%. So in terms of traditional, what I'm talking about is that we still teach our students um, Anglo-European um, design, history, uh, approaches, methodologies, uh, and yet um, we understand that the history of the United States is really that uh, this land was, um, particularly California, Texas, some of those areas uh, were much more uh, Mexican-based, uh, and yet we still don't have that taught in our classes. It's a longer, bigger problem about the United States and speaks about how it values its people. Uh, but I think at least in landscape architecture, we should break out of those traditional uh, bounds and really take this on. So the concern is, is what is going to happen uh, to the discipline uh, and maybe really thinking about things that started in the 60s with the social movements that sort of died out. And now with um, the death of George Floyd, it really brought us back around thinking that maybe culture is important. Culture is uh, based on environment. We are shaped by our environments. And as landscape architects, we are environment shapers. So therefore, we're responsible for that. So that's what I'm saying uh, when the, there's alternate ways. And uh, one last thing I'll say on that is that there are the social sciences, uh, sociology, anthropology, 
historical sociology. Many of those things uh, have been doing lots of research about Latinos, and yet in landscape architecture programs, we're not picking up on that, and that there are differences between people and cultures. And the research that uh, these Latino scholars is not making it into the discipline of landscape architecture. So I'm hoping to change that. I teach history, and so as a historian, uh, I feel that's something that uh, I've started to change within my own approach to educational landscape architects. So that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, I think piggybacking on that is um, kind of leads into our second question. How do you incorporate your students and you know your own culture uh, into teaching the, the practice of landscape architecture? That's a great question, uh, because to be honest with you, uh, I'm learning how to do that. Uh, for many years, I've been in the discipline quite a few years, and I've been teaching for many years, um, but never found the opportunity to bring in Latinos, and partly because I think, again, the discipline of landscape architecture uh, is very much about assimilating into a non-cultural situation. In other words, landscape architecture teaches you how to do grading, how to design, um, you know, all these things that, of course, we need to know, uh, but they don't tend to really go beyond those bounds. And so we tend to stay as acultural, uh, having no culture at all. Uh, but I think uh, uh, an interesting person that for me has been a model is Ian McCarg, when in the 70s he was a teacher, he was an, uh, as an educator, but also he was an environmentalist and really pushed ecology. So it really changed after he started to introduce ecology. Before that, there was no ecology taught in that way that McCarg was teaching that sensitized us to some of the issues. So I think I'm trying to do the same thing, is um, I'm the uh, like the littlest uh, Mexican-American teaching in a program, trying to make students understand these differences. I have colleagues that have done similar with the African-American idea of culture. Kofi Boone, a good colleague of mine, has done that with African-American culture. He's bringing it in. Uh, but it's interesting that I feel like it, I was, for many years, uh, an assimilated person. I was a Mexican-American in landscape architecture, but that didn't really mean a whole lot. And I think uh, it's taken me to be wise enough to understand that uh, there is a big audience here that is missing uh, in the discipline. And I think over the next few years, I'm hoping to make some changes with that. But back to the point about how I teach it, I do it slowly. Uh, I really try to, uh, first of all, in my classes, uh, where I've, I've introduced an all-Latino uh, landscape architecture history and um, urbanism course. I teach that with uh, University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Now, why is it that uh, somebody who's teaching at NC State is deciding to also teach with UNLV? Well, they have a larger Latino population. And the one thing I have discovered is by teaching there, the students, of course, uh, need this. It isn't being represented. Uh, and they're much more open to it. And that gives me an opportunity to test some things. Uh, so the audience is very important. If it's an audience of Latinos, uh, I have a certain approach. If it's an audience of non-Latinos, I have to be sensitive 
to uh, help them along to understand what is it I'm trying to communicate about. And uh, interestingly enough, my non-Latino students at NC State are very sensitive to this. They, they want to know. But again, application is important. And if there aren't that many Latinos uh, in your area, as it is in Raleigh, although it's starting to grow, Raleigh, North Carolina, um, it's a little more difficult. So I'm trying to do it right now slowly introducing them to definitions, aspects of what I think in a design could be important to Latinos, and also starting to write about it. So I have some writings that I've started to do, and the students are starting to read those as we go through studio. So not quite clear yet. Don't have a total answer for this yet. It's new ground, and it's, I'm working it's on developing. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. That's good to hear. Um, Maybe if we can, uh, I think you touched a little bit on this, but can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in landscape architecture? Sure. That's a great story, at least for me. I don't know if other people will find it interesting. Uh, but I think like everything else, um, most landscape architects sort of discover it. I think the newer generation, it's there. It's an existing discipline that you can choose from in a box. For me, uh, I discovered it. Uh, I really entered into it by default. Um, I'm a first-generation, college-educated uh, Latino. So I was born in San Antonio, Texas, and I think what drew me to landscape architecture is that I was raised both in the city and in an urban setting. So San Antonio, Texas is my hometown. It's close to the Texas-Mexico border. Um, my father was an avid cowboy dealing with animals and being outside. My mother was a clerk typist, and I mention that because both of those things, as you know, in Latinos, families are very, very important. And so from my father, I gained this love for the outdoors, and from my mother, I, I learned that uh, she worked with engineers. She was just a simple clerk typist uh, with only a high school education. Uh, but uh, I could tell from her work stories how much she valued the education of those engineers. So those two really helped me to sort of move along. And at, I went to Texas A&M uh, to, believe it or not, to be a veterinarian. And of course, that came from my father, uh, you know, the influence of being with animals and caring for them and so on. Um, and after my first year, I discovered that the pre-veterinary program was very heavy on sciences. And not that I hated the sciences, but organic chemistry, calculus, some of those kinds of courses really didn't suit me well. I actually did badly in those courses. So I quickly had to figure out what I wanted to do. I was at Texas A&M who happened to have an architecture program and a landscape architecture program. And in those days, they had these uh, um, handbooks that described each discipline. And I said, well, I don't want to be an architect, but this landscape architecture thing sounds interesting. It wasn't quite about agriculture, but it was about being outside. Uh, plants were important, you know, the horticultural aspect. So that really was good for me. And I entered the program and I found some good people there. We had both the East Coast and West Coast represented in the program. Uh, on the East Coast, we had many people that had gone to Harvard or Penn that were teaching there. West Coast, we had um, a lot of people that uh, were from the EDAW firm. That was Garrett Ekbo's old firm. And so I got a lot of West Coast influence there. So both of those uh, really allowed me to stay in the program, uh, to keep going. 
And then eventually I found uh, a really wonderful mentor who said, you need to go off to graduate school. And I continued because there was a fondness, you know. I, I liked being <laughs> among these creative people. It was fun. Uh, and also to do the kind of work that we were doing. We were working in communities. We did residential work. We did housing. A lot of important things that I had never heard about. So that introduction at Texas A&M was very important, uh, but allowed me to say, I need to go further. So that's how I fell into it. And I hope there's other people that sort of discover it the same way. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, I think I, I fell into that same um, sort of just finding it out of, you know, trying to go towards the architecture side, then seeing that this was available and looking more into it and kind of drifted more towards it. Um, which I think a lot of people, right? It's, uh, you don't grow up hearing a lot about landscape architects. And I'm glad, you know, here at NC State, we have an architecture program. And so we get a lot of people who come dissatisfied with architecture because it is a very distinctive discipline. But I think now with the sensibility, sensibilities of our uh, students to environment and social issues, they go, wow, you guys seem to do more of that. So they come over to our side and we're happy for that. Well, of course, yeah, definitely. Um, what would you consider the biggest change in the landscape architecture curriculum during your uh, teaching career? Well, you know, again, I've been in teaching for quite a few years now, and I've actually uh, seen the discipline morph into a very different kind of discipline. I think for the better. Uh, but for me, it, it's been like, what do you keep when you progress as a discipline? What is it that you keep with your students about because it's been good in the past and what do you move on and add to? So the educations that I got were really strong on design and really strong find foundational elements about um, how you do a design for a site, context, all those things that I think are still essential today. Uh, but the big change came when, let's say, I think within the past 10 years, it's happened very rapidly, is that universities are in landscape architecture programs are moving away from just teaching and uh, a regular curriculum to much more research, uh, reading, uh, you know, these things that before it was about only making and really producing these spaces that uh, people might enjoy. So it shifted from a traditional scale which was the garden or the home or, you know, a street. They, they were really small scales that we were dealing with. Now design is much more complex. It's layered with many more issues as, you know, climate change, uh, ecological issues, sustainability, resiliency. All those things are, are, are part of the new generation, and we've got to learn to deal with it. So in the academic arena, that's starting to really change. And it's not about what's good and what's bad. Uh, a lot of people say, well, you know, we've lost um, how to draw by hand. Uh, but, you know, computers are great. Computers really offer a lot of uh, ability. But what we lost when we didn't draw, because I'm an avid teacher still of drawing, is that uh, this idea of uh, being out in a space drawing. And, you know, the computer technology is getting better, and at some point you're going to be able to, and some people are being out in the field with a tablet drawing and those sorts of things. But drawing actually allowed you to be out in the field to test more ideas. Uh, my students spend a lot of time in the computer lab, and, uh, you know, have you ever been in a computer lab? My God, <laughs> they're like sterile places with just the screen in front of you. So how can you really think about landscape 
when you are in an environment like that. So I think that's one thing we have to tread lightly on and really realize we are about the land, we're about the animals and the humans and interact with it. And so um, making sure that that doesn't get lost is part of my concern. But the, pro the progress that we're doing, I think it's amazing. I think where we're headed to, I've got colleagues that are doing disaster relief, uh, understanding flooding and hydrology to a point that it's amazing. Uh, so those kinds of things are really wonderful. So the changes, the new technology, the new issues that are coming up, that's a big change. Um, yeah, speaking of getting out, um, I know you're an avid traveler. What are some of the travel destinations you'd consider vital to someone studying and practicing landscape architecture? Yes, I do love travel. Uh, and, I, and when I say this, I, I'm not bragging or anything like that, but I think, you know, travel really educates you about a lot of things. And um, I, I think the concept of travel, I never really had as a young kid. Um, our family stayed. I never left Texas till I went off to graduate school at Harvard that it was like, whoa. Uh, first time on a plane, all those kinds of things. I was like 20 years old and leaving Texas for the first time. Uh, so the travel part actually came from uh, graduate school where uh, my professor was Peter Walker, and he would take us on field trips. We went to New York City, New Jersey, uh, a lot of different sites uh, around the Boston area. And so even though they weren't like we weren't flying to Paris, we were learning from those experiences and being in those places. And I'll never forget, uh, this was an important lesson for me. Uh, I remember in history class uh, studying an important um, British garden. And the drawings were black and white back then. Uh, Norman Newton's book was out. And, you know, you see this big, long rectangle. It looks like it's supposed to be a lawn. It's not labeled right. You don't really know. And sh you show up in, in England, outside of London is a palace. I can't think of the name right offhand. But um, suddenly you walk out the back of the door of the palace, and you see that it's a long pool. It's about a half-mile long pool. And it's like, my God. <laughs> so those are the things that travel are important about is you're in that space and you begin to see what you don't see in the photographs. Uh, you don't smell the beautiful flowers that they use or that there's a bakery close by, right? Those are the things you don't see. You don't hear the sounds of uh, people walking on cobblestones that that makes a real big difference about when you design about thinking about what is the surface or you don't you know, if you hadn't been to the Alhambra, how important light is in a space and how the Islamic designers really controlled the space using water, light, the smell of the plants that they put. They're very sensorial. So that's what you get when you study abroad or, or you travel. And you don't have to go half around the world. Like I said, you could go down the street to your local barrio. If you're a Latino, really look at your barrio seriously or go to a neighboring barrio and take a look at it um, and really study that. But uh, I have to say I've traveled to Spain, the Czech Republic, Germany, and France. They're very European, uh, but I've also traveled to Latin America, uh, Argentina, Bolivia, uh, Uruguay. And you have to go there to really understand, again, the differences that geography makes 
for a landscape. So that's why I'm saying travel is important. As, as you get different people in different settings, they shape their environment differently. And remember how I started this conversation is that environments shape us. So we can see lots of precedent, a lot of examples, good and bad, uh, as you travel. And so that's why I'm an avid uh, um, uh, educator that, that expresses that traveling should happen. And we used to do um, foreign study. I mean, there was a foreign study in, uh, program we had in Spain and also in the Czech Republic. Uh, that slowed down just because of things like COVID and other things that happened. And um, being in American school in European locations, it's not always easy. And there were many issues we had to deal with that the university said we just can't do that so uh, i haven't done that for a few years but those were very fruitful years not only for myself but for my students so um gotta travel go somewhere today this weekend tomorrow you know <laughs> yeah, i 100 uh, percent agree yeah that's uh that the the traveling part was a big part of the program um at cal poly pomona and uh yeah it's definitely something that you're um it's it's a whole different it's it's an experience that's the experience of the space right that you're, you're trying to get out of it um not just being there but um taking it all in um well fernando uh we're coming up on the end here um what are some ways that people can either reach out or kind of look into your work and um, maybe get to know a little bit more about you and your work? Uh, there's uh, two ways. Uh, one is if you go to uh, my website at North Carolina State University College of Design, you'll find a website for me. And uh, there's some links there to some videos that I've done, uh, some of the research that I've written about. Uh, you, there are links there. So that's one way you can do that. Uh, another way is that um, there are um, lectures that I occasionally give or like this podcast. And so whenever I'm in your area, um, you know, just be on the lookout for me to give a talk or a lecture. And uh, that's probably another good way to get a hold of me. Uh, feel free, any of your viewers, to send me some email. You know, as a public institution, NC State is uh, very good about reaching out to people. And I'm the same way. So if you have questions or, you know, want to talk to me some more, be glad to follow that up. So thank you. Yeah, and, and again, I want to thank uh, you and Drawn to Scale for considering me important enough to have you as a guest. So thank you, everyone. And thanks to the audience out there. Go out and, and, and travel. <laughs> yeah, you're doing important work, Fernando. Thank you very thank much. Thank you. Have a good one. Okay. All right. Bye-bye.